Well, again, good morning. So glad that y'all are here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Alex. And for those of you who are new, again, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so, so glad that you're here. And uh, what we're all about is really simple. It's all about just connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other. So together we can engage our world for good according to whatever God's up to in our world. So we're, uh, we're glad that you're here, a part of things. This is week two of our January series called Spiritual Power in Everyday Places. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're drilling down into this idea that Jesus said that his followers, his disciples would have spiritual authority and power. And most of us have no idea what that means. Right? Like, what does that mean? What does that even look like? So, but we're in church, so let's assume that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Okay? Okay, all right. Just we're in church, we'll assume that Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says we have spiritual power and authority and that we might need it for work that he's prepared in advance for us to do. So here's the proposal for this series. What if in Jesus, because of Jesus, through Jesus, only by his authority and grace and mercy, you are more powerful than you know. You're more awesome than you know. You have more potential wired up for you than you currently no, but you need to know it. You need to be aware of it. You need to come awake to it, in part because you're up against more opposition, spiritual opposition, than you can see or know. And in part because God wired you up to make a bigger, and this is really important, a different kind of difference than you can now see or know. We're talking about having spiritual authority and power to change the atmosphere, to change the spiritual environment wherever we might be Sent. Now, more good news, because all of this is in Jesus, because of Jesus, and through Jesus, here's the really good news. You are not pre-disqualified. Some of you feel like God can never do something like this through me. Right? Some of us have so much shame, so much baggage, so much guilt. Uh, some of us aren't even that interested in spiritual things. We're so, so glad that you're here. Here's the good news. Because all this happens in and through and by Jesus, no one is pre-disqualified. Everyone, everyone, everyone who's willing to entrust themselves to the Lord is the recipient of grace and mercy and is invited into this great work. To be set free, to be full of spiritual power and authority, to make a spiritual difference in everyday places. Now we're going to say this every single week. Not everything is spiritual opposition, right? There's not a demon behind every corner. There's not sort of uh, spiritual things kind of lurking behind everything. Like sometimes just, there's just thorns and thistles in a fallen world, right? Sometimes people are just cruel or mean or sometimes accidents just happen or sometimes the car just breaks down or the printer never works. Sometimes things just go sideways, right, in a fallen world. But what we're saying is this, that what Jesus teaches, what the scriptures teach is that sometimes, maybe even often, maybe occasionally, there is a spiritual layer to the challenges we face. And if all we're doing is sort of earthly fixes to try to deal with spiritual problems, that doesn't have the power to sort of deal with the spiritual opposition. So part of our job as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, is to go to work peeling back the spiritual layer while we do the other work as well so that there might be full and complete restoration and healing. What if, what if, what if God has wired those of us who are followers of Jesus up with spiritual authority to change the spiritual atmosphere wherever he might send you? Last week we looked at the original job description when Jesus first called his 12 disciples. They had a three-part job description. One, to be with Jesus in community, to be with him together. Two, to go out and preach. That is to live it out and to talk it out. And then three, they had the authority to cast out demons. This was like right there baked into the original job description. And we talked about the authority to cast out demons. We kind of broadened it a little bit to say, listen, that's the authority to push back spiritual opposition. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about the word authority. 
because some of us have baggage with that word authority. How many of you have ever had an authority, a person in authority in your life who was a disaster? Like a job, a manager. Some of you even had parents, right, that were, like, maybe through no fault of their own, mental health issues, addictions, whatever, that there was things that were just not quite right about how they exercised authority. And consequentially, some of us have real challenges, real problems with authority figures in our own lives and even figuring out what authority looks like in a healthy way in our own lives. Here's what makes Jesus so special. One of the things that makes Jesus so special, he shows us what authority is for. He shows us why God indented authority and authority figures and lines of authority to begin with. God's intention for authority is this, that you might, we might create conditions ideal for people and situations to grow, be healed, be redirected in such a way that blessing and flourishing flows. This is what godly authority looks like. To have authority, God's given you authority. If you're a parent, a grandparent, you're a boss, you're a manager, anywhere you've got a sphere, this is what Jesus shows us. To use that, we're, to, we're to use that authority in such a way that people grow. Environments are changed in such a way that it brings blessing and flourishing from God the Father into and, and through the places where God has sent us. Now to help us to understand what it looks like to exercise that kind of authority, we are looking at a passage that talks all about authority that Greg just read earlier in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, if you're brand new to the Bible, so glad that you're here. There's four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark was the very first one written, and it's super short. It's the kind of the, it's the Cliff's Notes version. For those of you who don't like to read, that's the great place to go. It's a super short, fast-moving sort of description of Jesus' life. And then Matthew and Luke come alongside Mark's outline, and they fill it out with more and more stories of, of Jesus and, and what he did. And so in Luke chapter 7, we get this great story where Jesus is traveling around. He's talking to mostly sort of Jewish people, and he's teaching, doing miracles, and he arrives at a town called Capernaum, and there's a, a Roman centurion is there, and he's got a servant who is sick, and, and he's quite sure, he has at least some idea and hope that Jesus could do something about his sick servant, and so he sends sort of these Jewish elders to go and speak to him and ask for his help. Now, if you've ever needed someone to go ahead of you to pave the way, it's kind of what's going on here, right? If you ever need someone to open a door or get you a hearing somewhere, this is kind of what's going on here, right? Uh, the, the, the centurion is a Roman military commander over at least 100 people. And no one in Israel likes the occupying Roman guards, right? No one likes an occupying nation. And so this Roman centurion has a sense of, well, I, I got a sick servant. I love the servant. And I have a sense that maybe this man Jesus could do something about the situation. But he knows that he's not likely to get a hearing. He's a hated Roman military guy. And so he gets these Jewish elders to go ahead and ask Jesus for this favor. And these guys are great PR guys. I mean, you want to hire these guys to write your resume, okay? Because this is what they say. They say, Jesus, this man deserves for you to do this. He's been a... Great man. He's loved our nation. He's helped build our synagogue, our local place of worship. And even though Jesus likely just got to Capernaum, and even though Jesus has other plans, maybe he's got an agenda, he's got other things for his day, Luke records this, that Jesus has no objection. He sets aside his plans and his agenda and says, well, so Jesus went with them. And there's a quick pass I want to take on this passage because it's so beautiful. Here's the good news, my friends. There's a beautiful thing that we see throughout the stories of Jesus, and that is that he is blessedly, wonderfully interruptible. He's so willing to set aside agenda, plans, situations, to respond to someone who's in need. There's a couple of kind of principles here we see about how Jesus operates. 
and, and not just this story, lots of stories, and how he relates to the people around him. And they're all good news. Okay, so two different things that are a little bit in kind of tension, but they're both true. One is the really good news that Jesus' kingdom is bigger than you and not all about you. That's really good news. Good news, you're not the center of the universe. Congratulations. You don't have the weight of the world on your shoulders because you're not the one carrying the world on your shoulders. Good news. There's a much bigger world, much bigger universe, and it's not all about you. No matter what the sort of, no matter what advertising says about it, no matter how much we like the idea of the world revolving around you, it would be the worst thing in the world if the entire world revolved around you. Cheer up, you're not as important as you think. Instead, you are loved way more than you ever asked or imagined. The kingdom's not just about you. It's about what God's doing in the world. And yet, here's the good news. That Jesus is beautifully interruptible, responsive, and will go with us even if we feel like outsiders. Because the Roman centurion, he's an outsider. No matter how good a PR he has, no matter all the things that he's done for the people of Israel, he is an outsider. And here's the thing, what, 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 what turns the whole story of this is not what a great man the centurion is, it's what a great man Jesus is. That's what makes the difference. You don't have to go to Jesus with a great resume for him to respond to you. You just have to go to Jesus and ask him to come. Because he is compassionate. He's loving. And so this morning, if you need Jesus to go out there with you, back to your house, to your workplace, to your school, to your extended family situation. If any of you need Jesus here today to go with you, to change the atmosphere, to help deal with some things that are just not quite working right, really good news. He is delightfully responsive and supremely interruptible. He loves to go with his children. So the centurion sends these emissaries. Jesus starts making his way toward the centurion and toward this place when a new wave of emissaries comes to speak, to send a message to Jesus again. And, and these emissaries say, uh, these are these friends, and they say, hey, listen, don't, don't trouble yourself. Don't even bother. I don't even deserve for you to come under my roof. That's why I didn't kind of come myself. Don't even bother to come. Don't worry about this. So the Roman centurion knows this, that in ancient Jewish culture, uh, most Jews, a good Jew would not go to a non-Jewish person's house. They wouldn't even walk in the door. So the centurion knows so this is a big, big whomping deal for you to come into my house. And it might even sully your reputation a little bit. People would be questioning. So the Roman centurion, hey, now that I see that you're coming, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I tell you what, don't even, don't, don't, don't sully your reputation. Don't kind of make yourself defiled. Uh, don't even worry about it, okay? Uh, thank you so much. Instead, the centurion says, how about you just do this? Just say the word. And I am 100% confident, 100% sure my servant is going to be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one to go and he goes and that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So the centurion says, listen, I get how this works. I'm a man under authority and I have to do whatever the generals and the commanders tell me to do. And I got people under me too. And I say to this soldier, go. And he goes. And this one, come. And he comes. And I say to the servant, do this. And he does it. I know, I trust that this is a similar type of situation. All you have to do, Jesus, is just say the word. And I believe this is going to happen. Now, part of what's so interesting about this whole dynamic is the domains of authority. Right? Because, look, on paper, here's the deal. Roman centurion, he's a commander over at least 100 men. Right? He is, he is a military commander and one of the biggest, baddest armies that the world had ever seen up to that point. He has all kinds of authority, all kinds of power. Meanwhile, Jesus, 
small town boy from small town, nowhere, he's got no power, no, no military army, no kind of clout, no nothing. Who's the one on paper that looks like he's got more authority, more power? Centurion. And yet what the centurion does, even though he's got all his power, all his authority in one domain, he recognizes where his domain ends and where he needs Jesus to step in. He, he humbles himself and says, I can't fix this problem. Even though I've got all this power and authority, I need Jesus to step in. My friends who are super competent, super successful, super accomplished, and my friends who are just control freaks, love to be in control, always like to have control. I want to have a word with you. No matter how competent you are or how successful you have been, there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to have to recognize my domain, my sphere, my ability to change the situation ends right here, and I need help. There's going to come a time in your life. It might be the difference between life and death. It might mean the difference between your marriage making it or not making it. It might mean the difference between your kids liking you as adults or not liking you as adults. It might mean the difference between sort of your spiritual and emotional life and death, whether or not you're willing to say, I, am, I might be super competent, super successful, or able to control things over in this area of my life, but in these critical areas of my life, I need Jesus. Maybe even I need another human being, come alongside, step into the situation, because my sphere of competence and domain of control, the authority ends in a critical area where I need the help. Centurion, all kinds of authority, all kinds of power. He's the one that kind of has the power in the region. He recognizes where his authority ends, and he recognizes, more importantly, that Jesus has authority over something that really matters to him that he can't control. And so he sends for help, and he says, listen, Jesus, I know how this works. Just say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. You have that kind of authority. Here's how Jesus responds to him. One more time. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. There's only two times the word amazed. Jesus is amazed. The first time, the other time the word amazed is sort of used of Jesus is when he's amazed at the people's lack of faith. There's a crowd of people that don't have any faith. He's amazed at their lack of faith. So this is the only time Jesus is positively amazed at this man's faith. And he said to the crowd following him, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Listen, the, the Roman centurion who didn't grow up in the scriptures, doesn't know anything about Israel's God. This guy has more faith than all the rest of the people of Israel, even though he didn't grow up in Israel and didn't grow up with his God and didn't grow up with these scriptures. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Matthew tells the same story. Matthew 8, he closes it this way. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go and let it be done just as you believed it would. His servant was healed at that moment. Jesus is amazed at this man's faith. Now, sometimes, not always, it's an important part of a healing. Uh, in fact, there's another story where Jesus goes to a town and he can't do miracles because people's, people don't have faith. But in, in, and that's not always the case. But in this instance, Jesus partners with this man's faith and his servant is healed. Authority is the right and ability to impose sort of your will, your wishes sort of in a situation. That's how it worked with the centurion. He said to his servants, his soldiers, go, and they went. That's how it worked with Jesus and sickness. Jesus said, be healed, and his servant was healed. And that, that kind of authority is how it works in the spiritual world as well. That there, are, there is work that we're invited to to take authority over it in those places, in Jesus' name, to bring renewal. Now, important to see that this isn't something that just Jesus does. 
As we looked earlier, Jesus, when he first calls the disciples, gives his disciples authority to drive out demons, to sort of push back spiritual darkness. He says there's multiple times where Jesus talks about giving authority to his followers. This is part of what makes Jesus so revolutionary. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of talk in history and, and, and politics and in the world about power and what power does to people. And there's a phrase, a maxim in, in politics and particularly in politics among fallen human beings. Here's what, here's what power does. Among fallen human beings, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Maybe you've heard this before, right? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But with Jesus... A non, like someone who doesn't sin, who's not fallen. With Jesus, power blesses. And absolute power is shared generously. That's what he does. He says to his disciples, you're going to do what I did. In fact, Jesus is going to say, you're going to do greater things than I have, than I'm doing. You're going to do even greater things than I've done. Because my spirit is upon you. Now, at one point, Jesus sort of has some really unique language and some important language about how do we use that power? How do we step into that power that I want to invite us to test drive this week? In Matthew 16, Jesus gives his disciples a pop quiz. He says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they offer all kinds of ideas and suggestions. And then Jesus says to his disciples, well, what about y'all? What do, who do you say that I am? And Peter for once gets it right. Congratulations, Peter. Let's celebrate the one time Peter gets something right, okay? Peter gets something right here in Matthew 16. Peter says this, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And in Greek, the word Peter means rock, literally means rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That is the gates of, dead, of the dead. Even death will not bar in the work of the church from going forward. Of course, Jesus himself is going to be buried behind the gates of the dead. And he's going to conquer those gates. And then he's going to say, my church is also going to conquer the gates of the dead. Now, how's that going to happen? Like, in what way, what are, the, what are some particular ways that this sort of conquering the gates of Hades and kind of reclaiming the world, how's all that going to happen? Jesus says this, well... I'm going to generously and freely give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That natural world and the spiritual world all married together. This is the authority to bind and loosen things on earth and to release them in the spiritual realm. Later in Matthew 18, Jesus talks to the whole crowd of disciples and he, writes, he says this. Truly I tell all y'all, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Jesus' power blesses absolutely, and he shares that power generously. And he says, listen, I'm going to equip you with the authority to declare things to be true on earth, that will then be true also in the spiritual realm. And then Jesus gives us some specific language about how to do that. And I want to kind of, we're going to test drive this language this week. He talks about binding and loosening, which are some of the ways that the rabbis of his time talked about what was forbidden and what was permitted. So the things that were bound were sort of forbidden and things that were loose were permitted and allowed or sort of even encouraged. So binding is this. Binding is forbidding spiritual opposition to have power in a situation. Just binding it up, saying this is not going to have power in this place anymore. And then loosing is releasing God's power to bless, transform, set free a person or a situation. To change the spiritual atmosphere in a place. He says you're going to have power and authority to change the spiritual atmosphere in any place where I send you. This is the work Jesus calls his disciples to do. And it sounds a little crazy except then they go and do it. 
wherever they go. They change the spiritual temperature. They transform places and people. They set people free. Now, this is the work Jesus calls his disciples to do. Every Sunday morning when I first get here, uh, the first thing I do is I do like a prayer walk lap around the building. And as I've been praying, uh, as I pray over the building, a, a thing I've been praying recently, I'm pr I, one, of the, one of the things I pray is that the spirit of the Lord and that salvation might be released here. That joy might be released here. That new gifts might be released here. That those of you who aren't particularly religious people, aren't particularly people of faith, that you, might, that you might come awake to the love of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the joy of Christ. That there might be sort of new things released here that you might leave here a more redeemed, a more fully awake and alive image bearer because you've met the Lord here. I've been praying that the Lord would release salvation here for the first time. And or that you might be released uh, and saved from anything that would bind you up and keep you from being awake and alive to the Lord. And then the other thing I've been praying as I prayer walk around the building is I pray that the Lord would bind up and silence anything that would distract you from hearing the good news. I've been praying that the Lord would bind up and silence any voice, any spirit, any spiritual opposition that would come against the church or come against you as you come into this place. That might whisper lies to you or distract you or harden your heart in any way, shape, or form. I've got a good friend of mine who was in college student ministry. He's a you know, religious professional. And he talks about a season of his life where whenever, he, and he loved Jesus, loved the scriptures, but whenever, when he was in church on Sunday mornings and someone would read the Bible out loud, he would hear a voice saying, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Every time the Bible was written, was, was read in church, he heard a voice saying, that's a lie. Now, this guy's a religious professional. He loved the Bible, loved Jesus, loved the whole thing. And this voice was rather disconcerting. He didn't want to think that. He didn't want to hear that voice, but he kept hearing it. And he, kept, he kept hoping it would just go away on its own, and eventually it wasn't going away on its own. So he went and kind of sheepishly confessed to a, a friend of his, hey, I keep hearing this thing that says, uh, this voice that says, that's a lie every time the scripture's read. And so that friend prayed a prayer over him to bind up that voice. Didn't hear it ever again. I'm praying that whatever voice would tell you anything other than the truth. That any voice that's not the, the voice of the good shepherd, that's not the voice of the spirit, would be silenced as you come into this place. That you might be awake to the good news, great joy, all people, Jesus is Lord. And that the spirit might release you to do all kinds of new things, that more than you could ask or imagine. It might release new gifts in you that you didn't even know you had in you. That you might bear all kinds of new fruit. I'm praying Binding and loosening prayers for you in the space and you online. Even as I go along and pray, when, as we pray through here, I'm praying over that camera that the Lord would do a new thing. Even online as it gets released into the world, that God would do a new thing to bind up anything that would keep people in shackles. And that the Lord would release people made in his image to express that image. Here's a working definition of spiritual authority. We're cobbling this together from a couple of different sources. I, I, want, I want to invite you to test drive this, kind of this definition. Spiritual authority is the right and ability to speak into the spirit realm in such a way that agents in that realm, in the spirit realm, obey, with corresponding outcomes in the natural realm. That is, it's very spiritual and it's very earthy. That there's very kind of, that there are spiritual things that we're doing, but there's also things in the concrete earthly realm that we're, that we're seeing the outcomes on. That when we bind and loose, and on earth, we bound and loose in heaven. There's natural and spiritual correspondence. Let me ask you, my friends. Do you have any place in your life where there are things happening that are not good? Any place in your life where you, see, where you feel like, man, there's potential here. This could be a good place. This could be good in your family, in, in, your, in your home life, 
at your workplace, in your school? Do you see any place where there's, hey, there's potential for good here? But man, there's like a quarrelsome spirit here. There's gossip, there's lies, there are, there's criticism and anger and venom that just have no place here. Is there any place where you feel like, man, the atmosphere here is completely undermining what could be good? Or maybe this, can you look back on your family for the last couple generations? Are there any patterns you'd love to see broken? Is there a pattern of generational dysfunction? Are people, are people getting in the same bad marriages over and over and over again? Is there a pattern of overpassivity or overly domineeringness? Is, is there a pattern of addiction or affairs? Are people making the same bad decisions over and over and over again? My friends, what if you've been here, what if you've been sent here, this generation, your generation, to bind up that pattern and any spiritual force that goes with it and to release your kids, to release your grandkids from those patterns, from that history? What if you've been equipped with the spiritual power and authority to change the atmosphere for generations in your family. Binding, loosing, setting people free. Simple prayer, right? I bind up the spirit of blank in Jesus' name. Whatever it looks like in your life. Whatever you need bound, whatever you see is not right, is dysfunctional. I bind up the spirit of gossip in my workplace or politics in my workplace or the, or the dysfunction or the lies in my workplace or the conflict of the quarrelsome spirit in my, my workplace. Or I bind up the spirit of addiction or bind up the spirit of overly passivity or overly domineering. I bind up that spirit in Jesus' name and then I set loose the people or the place from the power of that spirit in Jesus' name. And I release the, what, the grace of Jesus? The love of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the redemption of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus. Instead, we're binding up one spirit, we're replacing it with the spirit, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. This sounds crazy, except for this is exactly what disciples do. This is what disciples have done for 2,000 years. To step into situations, step into places, and change the spiritual atmosphere. These aren't magic words. They don't magically change everything. There's often work that, that gets involved that you have to step into. There's often scriptures. There's often, uh, there's often sort of specific conversations you need to have. There's ways that you need to weigh in. Sometimes this prayer tills the soil for action in our own hearts. That if you're binding and loosening up and asking for God to release more salvation, more grace, more truth, he's going to make you a person of grace and truth. He's going to call you to have hard conversations or to confront wrongdoing. So sometimes this is, a, this is a spiritual prayer, a prayer for spiritual transformation that then leads to action that we have to step into, that God's going to prompt you to. But your heart is ready and you're more open to it because you're praying and leaning into, God, would you change the atmosphere here in this place by your spirit? And Lord, here I am. I'm open to stepping into that in whatever way you would call me to do. Every so often I meet with people who are in really dark places, spiritually or emotionally, Sometimes they're going through trauma or heartbreak. Sometimes they've, been gone through, they've gone through trauma a long, long time ago, and they've been carrying sort of the, 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 concept, the, the consequences of that trauma or the conversations in their head. They're really dark. They're really sort of anxious or even depressed. And whenever I'm sitting down and talking with someone who's in that space where they're in a really hard space mentally and emotionally, I always encourage them to do a couple things. One, are you getting counseling? Counseling was super helpful for me at different points in my own life, my own journey. Counseling can be super helpful for many of us. Sometimes... In addition to the counseling, medication can be super helpful to get traction, right? On a, a challenge of depression or anxiety, super, super helpful to do all that work. And sometimes there's a spiritual layer to it. And so what I invite people to do who are in those dark places where the voices in their head are dark and the thoughts are dark and they're in a really hard spot is I invite them. I said, I want you to write down everything the voices in your head are telling you that you know aren't true or probably aren't true for a week. Write them all down. At the end of that week, 
we get together and, I, and we write them out on a whiteboard. Sometimes writing out the voices in your head on a whiteboard can be very disconcerting. Sometimes it's intense. Sometimes it's really relieving to get it all out there. Sometimes it can be really dark and hard and heavy. Sometimes it's shocking. And often there's one primary message. There's one primary lie that they're hearing over and over and over again. The, the lie of I have to be in control. Or the lie of I'll never be good enough. Those are two very common ones. And so what we do often is identify a primary lie. And what I do is I have people go through each lie that they've heard in the last week. And I invite them literally to out loud renounce those lies. That's not true. I renounce that lie in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's really hard for people. I had, I had one person I was doing this exercise with. She literally could not renounce a lie that she knew was a lie. Like she literally just could not say the words, I renounce the lie of blank. She just couldn't do it. And so there was a spiritual layer to this opposition. And so... Anytime I have someone do this sort of exercise, at the end of them renouncing those lies, I pray over them and bind up any spirit that's whispering those lies to them. If there's a spiritual layer to this, I want to deal with it, right? So I, I, I bind up the spirit that's lying to this person in Jesus' name. I bind up the spirit that says they have to be in control in Jesus' name. And then we replace it with a scripture that's true, a scripture, a scripture of principle, right? So for the person that says, I have to be in control all the time to be safe, I say, we, we bind up the lie in Jesus' name that, that you have to be in control to be safe. And we declare the good news. We release the good news. Jesus is Lord. You don't have to be. Jesus is Lord. You don't have to be in control. You have agency. You have work to do. But Jesus is Lord. You can rest in his lordship. Bind up the spirit that speaking lies, release them into the truth that sets them free. One woman did this exercise with me. She, she said, I have never, I have not felt so light in like a decade after we got done. She said, through tears. There's counseling. Good. Super important. Super critical. Right? These aren't magic words. There's sometimes work that has to be done, repair work that has to be done. Things have to be processed, right? Sometimes there's medication. Also, super helpful. And there's a spiritual layer to this that the doctor's not going to do. The doctor's not going to cast out a demon in Jesus' name, nor should they, okay? That's not their job. The church can do that. You can do that. We are disciples of Jesus, given spiritual authority to drive out spiritual opposition in Jesus' name to anyone and everyone who's open to that and where God has given us agency or relationship or ability to speak into those things. That's the work of the church. My friends, is there a place... Where God has sent you, where you have spiritual authority to bring to bear. Is there a place where God has sent you to change the spiritual atmosphere? To, to bring his grace, his truth, his spirit, his, his truth, his beauty, his righteousness, his love into places that are broken. Let me give you some examples of, what, of places where you might have spheres of authority in some places, right? You have prayers, you have sphere of authority over spiritual opposition. God has given you an assignment to be a part of his kingdom coming, his will being done. You have spiritual authority over your own physical body. God has given you your body. You have a sphere of authority over your household, especially your children or your grandchildren. God has given you those children or those grandchildren. You have spiritual authority over your workplace. Sometimes people say to me, God totally gave me this job, which is great. We all need jobs. Jobs are a great thing. But what if God gave you the job not just for you to provide for your family? What if God gave you that job to make a spiritual difference in that workplace? What if that's why God gave you that job? Or at least part of the reason why God gave you that job. To bring his spiritual authority to bear in that workplace. Spiritual authority over your geography, your neighborhood, your community, your county, the town, Chatham County. Right? Again, some other people tell me, man, God totally gave us this house. Fantastic. What if that house is not just for you and your family? What if that house is to put a spiritually alive person, a disciple of Jesus, and to bring that authority, that power to your neighborhood, to your community, 
God's also given you spiritual authority over a, a ministry or volunteer work that God has called you to do. If you have a burden for, like, for, for uh, people who are struggling with poverty and needing food, if you're working at the food pantry, fantastic. What if part of your work there is to pray that God would break cycles of poverty that are so grinding and so grueling? What if there's a spiritual dimension of poverty right here in our community that God's calling you to go to battle Against. If you're a small group leader, God's given you limited spiritual authority over the people in your small group to go and serve them, to, to bind up anything that might be coming against them, and then to set them free, to loosen God's spirit, God's grace, God's mercy at work among them, to pray that God would release these people to becoming fully developed image bearers, full of his spirit. My friends, what if God has sent you somewhere with his authority, his power, and his name to do something, to make a bigger, a different kind of difference than right now you could ask or imagine. Because in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, as we submit to Jesus, you are more powerful than you now see or know. But you need to see and know it. In part because there's more opposition set against you than you now see or know. And in part because God has wired you up to make a bigger and different kind of difference than you can now see or know. No, today's wildly important take-homes. Let's just talk, first of all, about that definition of authority. Godly authority is this, right? Creating conditions ideal for people and environments to grow, be healed, be redirected, be transformed in a way that releases blessing and flourishing. This is just true. If you, if you have any kind of authority anywhere in your life, in your world, at work, with your kids, grandkids, if you're, if you're like a volunteer president of the HOA, whatever you are, this is part of what it means to be sort of a person who uses authority in a way that blesses other people. This is what Jesus does. And so the call is for us to be men and women who wield godly authority next spiritual authority right and ability to speak into the spirit realm in such a way that agents in the spiritual realm obey with corresponding outcomes in the natural world it's very spiritual and it's very earthy these things all being worked out all at the same time so a couple questions first off where where are the everyday places that you've been put to bring God's spiritual authority to bear in those places. Again, your workplace, wherever you have an assignment, wherever God's given you an assignment, you have a disproportionate amount of authority to bring blessing and even curses to those places. And so what does it mean for you to be a person who brings God's sort of spiritual authority to bear in those places? And then, so these binding and loosing prayers. I want to invite you to pray these prayers. And you might not be comfortable with the binding prayers, right? I bind the blank, the spirit of blank in Jesus' name. That might be a little bit uncomfortable, but then you could start with just loosening, right? God, I just want to loosen more of your grace, more of your wisdom, more of your love. I want to, I want to, I want to ask that you would loosen, uh, set loose uh, people made in your image. I want to, I pray you bring salvation, that you would set loose sort of new truth, new grace, repentance, renewal here in this place. Listen, my friends, what if, what if, what if, what if over the next week, a couple hundred of us are praying these kind of prayers? What if over the next week, like if there was like a, a population density map? Of like little bright spots where the spirit's at work. What if that? What if that? What if that density map grew, and grew this week? Just because you're willing to step into prayers that Jesus invited us to pray, of binding up sort of spiritual forces of darkness and 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 releasing more and more of God's blessing, God's grace, God's truth, God's love into these places. I want to invite us. There's a there's a quote I heard this week: "Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little little power. No prayer, no power." I want to invite us this week as a church to step into the community of grace, with, uh, with grace, with mercy, to release whatever blessing we could possibly release into this place, to bind up the things that are working against us and the people around us, and to begin to be people who are participating, cooperating with the Spirit of God who has come to set people free, bringing our spiritual power and authority into our everyday 
places. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us what authority looks like. Thank you for freeing us from uh, bad experiences of authority. I pray for my friends who are here who have negative experiences with authority and authority figures. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that seeing how you wielded authority to bless other people and how you share it so generously, would that free us to both worship you and, and trust you, as well as to be men and women who bring spiritual authority to the places that you have sent us. Lord, I pray right now that you would bring to mind a place where you want us to pray, at the very least, loosing prayers. That there are, peop- there are people or communities or spaces where you long for us to step in, where you're inviting us to step in to bring prayers of renewal and grace. Would you help us to do that? And then, Lord, would you bind up anything that would distract us? Would you bind up anything that would discourage us, that would keep us? Would you make us awake to the, to the spiritual realm and the spirits that might be at work around us? Lord Jesus, would your spirit come and guide us? Would Chatham Community Church be a place where we are stepping in? Would you make us a spiritually disruptive force across Chatham County and beyond, in our neighborhoods, in our schools? And Lord, would you break generational patterns because you are Lord and because you have released the spirit because your power is greater than anything we're going to face. So, Lord Jesus, would you help us to come awake to the invitation to bring spiritual power in our everyday places? We pray in your name. Amen, amen, amen.